If you're growing a business or just thinking about launching a startup, this is definitely the podcast for you. This is Fast Forward, brought to you by Tech Manchester. We support early stage tech focused businesses. Each week, we'll dive into the issues that we know keep entrepreneurs awake at night. We'll chat to experts who'll share their tips and advice on how to handle everything from raising finance, making your first hire, to getting your company noticed on social media or in the press. Running a business is a roller coaster. It's exhilarating, but it's pretty damn scary at times too. We're here to help you get your business off the ground and hopefully get a better night's sleep. It's hosted by me, Patricia Keating, Executive Director at Tech Manchester. Standing in a tin shed, waiting for the van to come. Old friend, have you seen where my golden tickets be? Present like the fear from above, believers like we've never been in love. We're only gazing at stars on the ceiling. Welcome back to the Fast Forward Podcast. Now, we all understand the power that a good night's sleep can have, but we also know the detrimental effect that a lack of sleep can have on our everyday lives. And when you're in the early stages of growing a business, it's natural. You want to put in all the hours, pull an all-nighter to finish that big pitch or get the website up and running. But if you don't schedule time to rest and sleep, it will ultimately lead to long-term lasting damage to your health. Now, this year's Mental Health Awareness Week is running from the 18th to the 24th of May. And its theme this year is focusing on the power of sleep and mental well-being. So this month, the podcast is speaking to those experts to help us understand a bit more about sleep or the lack of it and how it really affects us, whether you're an entrepreneur running your own business or senior leadership team or whatever you're doing in your life. So... My guest today, he began his career in the police and his passion for helping people along with his background in psychology led him to work with the world-renowned Professor Steve Peters, who is the creator of the groundbreaking Chimp Paradox Mind Model. Um, If you haven't read that book, you should absolutely go and look that up uh, today. Um, Before he went off to launch his own performance psychology consultancy. Now, before we start this podcast and welcome Aidan to the the show, I can't wait to have this conversation with you. Thanks, Trish. Um, We probably should warn people that uh, we're both Northern Iron and (laughs) this could get a bit thick on the accent front. I have reminded myself diction is uh, a key word to keep to front of mind. Is it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll slow down. <laughs> um, so listen, your your career path is fascinating. Mm. Um, you know, you started working in the police. Can you just tell us a little bit about what that was like and what it taught you about human nature? Well, my journey in the police actually started in the south of Ireland, in the Republic. Um, I latterly ended up in police oversight with the police ombudsman for Northern Ireland um, and in government investigations in Northern Ireland. What has it taught me about the things that people do and why they do them? Well, there's a myriad of reasons. And to look for a simple explanation for any person's behaviour is sometimes the wrong way to go. Mm. Cause, action and effect does happen. However, it's much more useful to think about behaviour in the complexity, the web of all of the influences and inputs and all of the experiences and circumstances 
that we encounter in life, our behaviour as we move forward is a combination of choice, but also a combination and an influence by our experiences, how we process them, how we program them, and all of the emotionality that goes with that too. What I did understand through my time in frontline policing is that behaviour isn't fixed. It's malleable. It's changeable. It's adaptable. And in the right settings, given the right environments, given purpose and opportunity, those who perhaps have felt that they didn't have another pathway, didn't have another route, can find that and can really grow and develop, really blossom. Yeah, I think we've seen that. You know, I think we're incredibly lucky that the mind can be malleable. Otherwise, mm. you know, the island might still be in the throes of, of a civil war. And but thankfully, it's moved on and, and has started to flourish. Now, um, did you do your psychology degree while you were in the police force or was it after? And is that what way did that or was it the psychology degree that prompted you to leave and to do something new? So I suppose if we bring it right back to brass tacks, what has informed my journey? What lies beneath? What's the, the, the motivator, the primary kind of driver behind my entire career pathway, if I look in retrospect? And it's this idea of wanting to help people. So I did my primary psychology degree because I was always fascinated by um, why people behave in the way they behave, mm. why they do. The and you were probably they- seeing some pretty intense situations at the time. Indeed, because I was studying at Queen's University in in the 90s. (laughs) Um, And the other component to that is a a knowledge of self as well. So understanding myself a little bit better as I grew and developed. So I did my primary degree. um, And then I suppose from a, a fairly young mind standpoint, the feeling that actually what you do to help people is you get involved in the front line. You're there to catch the balls, to um, protect people, to pick up the pieces. And that's true to a point. That said, what I did experience and what I understood from from policing is that policing is a very fast-moving environment. And unfortunately, you become a little bit of a sticking plaster for people. Um, So you may deal with a case, you may deal with an injured party, with a victim... But you've also got 20 others to deal with during that shift. Mm. And you're moving very quickly from one scenario to the next and dealing with a a, a multiplicity of different individuals, different people in different circumstances and different hurt, pain and different behaviour all the way through that uh, shift or all the way through that career. So when I then thought, as I studied my my, uh, master's in applied forensic psychology, and understood the mind deeper and deeper. I thought, is there another way? Is there a, a more time-sensitive way in which you can help people? And applied psychology is that pathway. The capacity to spend more time with people, to understand them at a deeper level, to be able to draw out and help them find the pathway through uh, the challenges that they're facing, and to be able to bring a bit of mentorship, a bit of insight um, and a bit of the evidence base that psychology tells us about 
to allow them to develop their own skills. So less being the person who solves the problem for them, Mm -hmm. more being the individual who stands beside them and watches as they find their own solutions. Yeah. Um, So... How did you, uh, like, before we get into the whole sleep thing, because I know you've got loads yeah. of um, of help for us um, on that particular topic, which is why we're here today. Um, how did you end up working for Steve Peters? <laughs> like, how do you go from leaving the Northern Ireland Police Service to working with one of the world's, like, best known psych- like psychologist professors, mm-hmm. you know? And just for the benefit of the audience, please introduce who he is. Professor Steve Peters is the former head of the medical school at Sheffield University. And he is also a consultant forensic psychiatrist by trade. So he spent his time in Rampton, a secure hospital, and he was responsible during his time for involvement in a number of police cases, including um, the Ian Huntley, the Soul murders. So assisting the police in that um, arena. Now, as he lectured and as he delivered to the students at Sheffield, he developed this model of how to explain the human mind, how to explain thinking, thought processes, how we sometimes get thoughts, feelings and emergent behaviours, which on the face of it, if we looked, would rather not have, uh, and how you could also bring in and start to articulate some of the therapeutic models, some of the models of change, which can help people to manage this really complex system, the human mind and the physical human brain. And it was over during that period of time, as Steve would say himself, he developed uh, an analogy, the chimp, the human and the computer, to explain in a very, very simplistic way, the human brain. So how did I meet Steve? Well, (laughs) Did you arrest him? (laughs) (laughs) Just bumped into him in a prison waiting room or something? (laughs) That's a story for another day. Um, But I had always been involved in and interested in elite sport. I'd competed in karate to a very high level myself um, and always followed uh, sports and was Mm. was very, very interested in it. My primary degree when I carried out my research was in relation to why people involve themselves in certain sports, contact versus non-contact sport. What were their primary motivators? So I was aware of of some of the work that Steve was doing in elite sport. That became very public around 2012 Mm -hmm. um, when the likes of Chris Hoy, Vicky Pendleton, um, British Cycling, a number of other British Olympic teams were um, publicised widely in the press about their work with Steve. Steve that year published The Chimp Paradox and it became a number one bestseller. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was familiar with Steve's work. I read the book and I thought, that's that's very clever. Actually, if we look at it, <laughs> I could see... Probably the biggest understatement by that book. True, true. <laughs> but from the overview of the book, mm. I was able to see within it various paradigms in psychology. The stuff that I had studied over a long number of years, the stuff that I had applied um, in my time in the policing Mm -hmm. and the world of policing to try and help people gain ownership to change behaviour. Some of the work that I'd done in terms of uh, pro bono research around um, understanding suicide and self-harm in Northern Ireland. And looking at it, I thought, yeah, 
clever is one word for some people call it genius, but it's being able to bring all of the complexity of, of various strands of psychology together, mm-hmm. being able to look at it and see within it, well, there's elements of cognitive behavioral therapy. There are elements which kind of allude to third wave cognitive therapies like acceptance and commitment therapy. Yeah. So when I looked at it, I thought, that's a very, very neat way of encapsulating a very, very broad range of psychology. Um, I then had the opportunity uh, to go to Steve's house and meet him. Um, and Steve <laughs> was doing some work with uh, Police Scotland at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was a nice counterpoint to bring in and to uh, get involved in the company around work with the police. Yeah, uh, That um, role started to expand um, and I came on staff with the team full time. And needless to say, because of my background and because of the challenges that um, services face um, and the peculiarities of, of listening and accepting messages from people who don't really understand their world, I was a useful um, way in to being able to bring these applied psychological principles to the police, to fire rescue, mm-hmm. to the NHS, uh, because to a degree I'd walked a mile in their shoes already. Um, I understood some of that world. I understood the challenges that the emergency services faced on the day to day and was able to bring the lessons and learning from the book and be able to apply it into their world um, and to demystify. Yeah. And help them. Yeah. So that's who you work with now, now that you've got your own consultancy. You're yeah. working with the likes of the NHS and the rescue services mm-hmm. and elite sports. Yeah. Um, to improve performance and productivity primarily. But so, but where does the big question then, sleep, fit into all of that? Well, if we look at um, and, and strip performance back to brass tacks, I remember when I was training in, in karate, I was told three simple rules. I was told eat well, sleep well and train well. The training being the, the least important of those. <laughs> Actually, because it's how we're fueling ourselves and how we're resting and recuperating that we're really important to growth and development. So that was a a lesson from a physical standpoint. From a psychological standpoint, sleep is no less and perhaps probably even more important. Because as you start to understand the this wonderful three point (laughs) of of stuff inside the human head, the brain and the mind. What you start to to learn about is the fact that it needs rest and recuperation in the same way as the rest of the body. It's no different. And indeed, if we look at sleep, sleep is pervasive across the animal kingdom. If we think about that, it must perform some vital function because otherwise Mother Nature and all her wisdom would have said, get rid of that, you don't need it. And indeed, if we look at sleep deprivation, well, what does it cause? It causes a lowering of of, um, motor reflexes, so you slow down. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's driven um, a car when they're tired, well, well, they'll understand that only too well. It impairs our memory. It impairs our executive functioning, so our problem-solving skills, our logical reasoning. It impacts our mood. (laughs) 
So yeah. if you're a bit tired... Hide all those mums out there. Indeed. You might feel <laughs> a little and bit dads. more grinchy. Hmm. And that's normal. Because if we look at the function of sleep and we look at the importance of sleep to the brain, it performs a number of functions. One of the key ones is to be able to flush toxins out of the brain. So your cerebrospinal fluid um, during sleep takes toxins out of the brain because the brain, just like any other part of the body, will produce waste products. If we look at sleep and how it relates to anxiety, how it relates to an elevation of the amygdala, or as Steve would call it in his model, his chimp, Mm. what we understand is that sleep debt or sleep deprivation, not getting enough good quality sleep, it's been evidence-based that that leads to an escalation of amygdala response to negative emotional stimuli. So the type of thing that would cause you fear or anger or worry, the types of things we encounter normally, your amygdala responds more actively to that when we're sleep deprived. Importantly though, the prefrontal area of the brain, which can act as almost like a handbrake, like a mitigator Mm. for that um, powerful emotional response, its power is reduced with lack of sleep. So not only do we have an increased response, our capacity to manage that response. <laughs> Your parachutes go holding yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the capacity to manage depletes as well. So it, it can become a vicious circle. And anyone who has been in a cycle of insomnia mm-hmm. or sleep debt, I'm sure can relate to that. Those are all kind of short-term things, which I, mm. I presume that once you pay off your sleep debt by getting some good night's sleep under your belt. And I'm not sure how you kind of... Do you have to sleep more the next night to catch up? Or is it just about going back into a regular pattern? I don't know. Hopefully you'll answer that. But what about the long-term impact? So, I mean, you know, parents of young children obviously do have challenges, but Mm -hmm. um, I guess that's still, I suppose, a short-term period in your life. For some, I can think of some people that have Mm -hmm. had years of it. Um, But... You know, if you do continually like a long term, what are the sort of longer longer term impacts to your health if you didn't retract, you know, sort that out? Well, it's an interesting question. And from the perspective of um, correlation versus causality, one of the one of the key elements which is correlated with uh, psychiatric disorders is sleep disruption, insomnia, um, early waking, uh tiredness during the day. The evidence doesn't indicate that insomnia or sleep disruption or sleep debt over a lengthy period of time causes psychiatric disorder. Neither does uh, it indicate completely that psychiatric disorder feeds back the other way, but they are conjoined with each other. Um, So realistically understanding how um, important sleep is if we have an escalated anxiety response based around um, lack of sleep and our capacity to manage that or mitigate that is depleted by the kind of handbrake on the normal function that we use mm-hmm. to, to, to manage that down one can easily see how a vicious cycle uh, would emerge um, where you're, you're anxious and you're worried. You mm-hmm. have things on your mind so you don't get enough sleep. You wake up tired. Your mood's disrupted. 
your cognition is disrupted and hampered. You're then in, in a cycle where you're less able to mitigate or manage that anxiety response. Maybe the thing that worried you or bothered you or was stressing you out was related to work. Your capacity to do all of the complexity that work requires through our logical executive functioning mm-hmm. is inhibited. Therefore, is it entirely possible that you feel even more stressed, <laughs> even more worried mm. about, well, I can't do the things that I should be able to do. I, I haven't been able to solve that problem. I haven't been able to um, get around that really challenging issue. How might that then manifest in the next night's sleep? And so as we look at And that, also the work in between, because yeah. obviously in between that period... Um, you know, if you're running businesses or you're leading businesses, you're in your workplace, you're be, your mood and behaviour and decisions are impacting other people. Um, and that's, I suppose, another kind of long-term, short-term impact yeah. that you can have as a result of lack of sleep. So it comes back to when I'm thinking about um, behaviour in the round and thinking about the complexity of elements that can feed into and produce behaviour. Sometimes there's a simple answer. More often than not, it's a complexity of of different elements feeding in together. And the same thing is then true of what happens when we have a lack of sleep. Do we become more moody, more cranky? How does that impact our relationships? Mm -hmm. How might that then feed into how we're feeling about things? Does that escalate our stress response? So there are all of these complexities and multiplicities which could feed into each other, which could create that perfect storm where actually we get into a cycle of not sleeping, being more anxious, not being able to manage that anxiety. And the the byproduct of that could be that it impacts our relationships. It impacts our capacity to do our, our work. It impacts how we feel about ourselves irrespective of the fact that we feel more tired. Um, So if you look at that in the round, getting that good quality sleep on a regular basis is really important, not just physically, psychologically, but it's also emotionally, interpersonally and occupationally. Yeah, it sounds like it's a massive opportunity. Like what the power of what a good night's sleep could actually, if we turn all of this... You know, because this all sounds very serious, and you know, we're we're talking about really serious stuff, like you don't get a good night's sleep, all this terrible stuff's going to happen. But actually, if you turn all of that on its head, it's like the power of a good night's sleep. The power of a good night's sleep is going to give you the absolute opposite of all those things. Mm -hmm. The impact that that could have on your personal relationships, your interpersonal relationships, um, your business, your decision making, your, your, how you feel about yourself. You know, the power of a good night's sleep, I think, is what I'm kind of taking from what, what you're saying. Um, but just before we move on, like we've talked about all those kind of, they're more like internalized, emotional, mental kind of responses. Can like the lack of sleep have like physical, can it manifest in other physical, like like other problem? Like can something else happen? You know, I don't know, get a gammy leg or something. Probably a bad example. Mm. You could probably give me some more serious ones than that. So what I don't want to do is draw a, a false causality. Mm. Uh, but certainly... If we look at an, an immediate real-world impact, um, and I've seen this when I was in the police, when I was on the front line. Hmm. The impact, I would imagine a massive lack of sleep there. Yeah. 
Yeah. But also from the point of view of dealing with circumstances. Mm-hmm. So we know that tiredness is right up there as the primary cause of road traffic collisions. Um, so there's a real world impact yeah. straight away. If we look at it from the uh, component of um, what happens when we feel anxious and stressed, well, actually, we're releasing stress hormones, cortisol, adrenaline, noradrenaline, all of these things which in the short term are intended to give us the best opportunity to stay alive. The reality is, though, that these hormones are only supposed to be released very infrequently, short bursts for specific reasons. If they're being released on an ongoing basis, so if we're feeling more stressed, more worried, more anxious, mm-hmm. we're getting this release of hormones on, a, on an ongoing basis. The long-term effects of these hormones are that they put you at greater risk of cardiovascular disease and greater risk of stroke. And from a performance standpoint, they can actually have a catabolic impact on, on the body. So from an elite, elite athlete mm. standpoint, yeah. the last thing you want is an athlete who is highly, highly stressed all the time <laughs> okay. because it can really hamper yeah. performance. So if we look at that, it's not saying that, well, if you don't get a good night's sleep, yeah, you're, you know, all you're going to We do want this. people to start freaking out about no, sleep now. <laughs> not, not, not in the least. No. But what it's saying is that all of these systems interact with each other. Mm. Um, so if one system is out of kilter, then that can have a knock-on impact. And if all of these systems start acting in a way that you would rather them not, then what might be, might, what might be the outcome? Probably not something that you want. From a real-world example, it might be you end up wrapping the car around you know, mm-hmm. the, the tree at the end of the or road because else. you're tired coming home. Well, hopefully not. Yeah. But um, if you're thinking about it from the point of view of preparation and, and, and performance for your day job or for elite sport or whatever else, then sleep isn't just about physical recovery. It's all it's about all of those multiplicity of things as well. So I love my sleep, right? Yeah. I love it. And um, anybody that knows me um, knows that if I'm not out at evening events, um, then I am very happy to be at home and in bed for nine o'clock. Love it. It's happy to be in there. But um, is there is there an optimum amount of sleep that we should be getting? Is there such a thing as too much sleep? Um, obviously, there's definitely too little. Hmm. But, you know, or is there a Goldilocks amount of sleep that we should be having on a day-to-day basis? Well, the reality is that um, there's there's lots of very well-known messages out there. Mm. An individual needs an individual amount of sleep. Like I would say it's probably eight for me, about eight. They do recommend seven to nine hours, six to eight hours. You hear those numbers being bandied about. For me personally, it's about eight hours. Sometimes it's a bit less, sometimes it's a bit more, depending on um, the exertions that I've put myself through, depending on how I'm feeling physically. Mm. Um, or emotionally or psychologically. Um, but yeah, generally it's about that eight hour You kind of know yourself, don't you? Yeah. You kind of know yourself, and what you're used to. It's interesting because sleep is based around a thing called circadian rhythm. And the circadian rhythm is, is more or less, weirdly enough, on a 24-hour cycle. <laughs> so sleep is governed by hormones as well. Um, and light plays a big part in it. 
So as light starts to decrease, your body will start to produce more melatonin. It prepares the body for sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, As light starts to emerge again, um, as the day picks up, don't know if it's quite true in Manchester all the time <laughs> how much light we do get. We have a bit of sun today. <laughs> a little bit. Anytime I do a podcast, the sun comes out on purpose and then the rest of the time it rains. But you and I are used to that, yeah. given, given where we're from. I know. It's uh, like people were like, oh, you're going to Manchester, you know, it rains there all the time. You're like, do you know where I'm from? <laughs> Funny, I had exactly the same conversation. Why'd you yeah. move to Manchester? <laughs> Hold on, I moved from Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> Forty shades of green. Why do you think the country is so green? It rains all uh, the time, all every the time. day. Yeah. But uh, if we look at that, so there are uh, hormones and cycles which um, govern and help and assist sleep within the body. And they relate to a lot of the natural rhythms around us. So daylight and darkness um, and the escalation in and the drop in melatonin levels promoting sleep and starting to promote wake-up. So if we look at this and think, well, sleep's really, and there is a model out there which has been researched um, called the the dual process model of sleep. So you have two systems, one helping you to stay awake and one fighting to put you to sleep. Okay. So the body naturally will find its own rhythm rhythm in that. But there are ways that you can help. There are ways that you can assist, particularly in, in an environment, a world that's so busy nowadays, yeah. and a brain that can be so busy. There are ways that you can assist the body to get that restful sleep. And those are really, really important to bring home. They're very, very simple. They can be easy to do, but they take some discipline as well. And then some of it can be drawn out of out of principles around cognitive behavioral therapy, because that's been demonstrated in research to assist with people who um, are presenting with insomnia. So cognitive behavioural therapy techniques can help people get a better night's sleep? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is that more in more serious cases or is there techniques there that anybody can apply? Well, some of the research has been around um, insomnia for people with diagnosed psychiatric disorders because insomnia and, and many of those disorders live beside each other. Mm-hmm. Um Insomnia, sleep disruption is a, a, a very well evidenced symptom of many. It's like the chicken and the egg. Yeah. What causes what? <laughs> is it the psychology disorder causes the insomnia? Or is it the insomnia causing the psychology disorder? Well, the disorder is probably uh, there presenting, okay. um, but the insomnia certainly won't help. It exacerbates it. Um, but the reality is, yes, there are really simple principles that we can draw from that and from the evidence base to say, if we've got something working on our mind, what can we do? Because if we keep it inside of our heads, sooner or later, there's a pretty good chance that Steve's chimp, or if you want to give it the other name, the amygdala, will say, oh, hold on a minute. I've been working with this idea all night, and now what I'm going to do is I'm going to wake you up with it. (laughs) So we can all relate to that idea, waking up at three o'clock in the morning, and whatever's on our mind, be it the project, that we have coming up, be it the email we didn't or did send, be it the words that we've had with a colleague, a friend, perhaps a loved one, or perhaps something more serious is going on, that somebody's not well, or there's money money issues, or, mm. or something of that nature. And at three o'clock in the morning, waking up, and that thing being the most intractable and most important and insurmountable problem we've ever faced. And yet when we wake up at six, seven, eight o'clock. 
very what often. What was that about? <laughs> exactly. And that's got to do with the systems which are at work and are at play during mm. sleep. Because there are times within sleep that our amygdala, that centre of fight, flight and freeze, yeah. its function when it's mapped is exactly the same or very, very close to a waking state. And so it's running free. Exactly. <laughs> it's like it, Father Dickel's brain rabbits yeah. running through you going, wow, I'm going to make you think crazy thoughts. Precisely. Because yeah. the, the mitigator, the, the manager, the, the person who can kind of say, it's OK, let me take care of this. Well, they've actually gone to sleep. That other part of the brain mm. has gone, oh, the rational right, it's part. downtime. Yeah. yeah, let's have some downtime here. So understanding that, recognising that, really, really simple principles. If you've got something on your mind, get it out. Use journaling, use yeah. a notepad, write it down. And then make an agreement with yourself. And this is this is an idea of, of being able to start planning forward of what you will do. Finding that solution. So it's, it's principles that live in solution-focused coaching. It's principles that live in cognitive behavioural therapy. All of these ideas which help people overcome and move forward from problems. Identify one thing, just one thing that you're going to do which will help. The first thing that you can do. And then enter into an agreement with yourself that you'll do that the next morning or as soon as you possibly can when you get up. And what you're trying to do there is take the thing which may hijack you in the middle of the night, may wake you up, take it out of the mind, put it down, leave it, but also have the understanding that, hold on a minute, we haven't forgotten about it and we're not trying to suppress it. Yeah, We've got a plan in place. So those are really simple principles. Now, if it's more in-depth insomnia, if it's a more um, developed sleep problem, then seeking the help of a, a professional might be a very, very good way to go down, a very good road to go down, because in reality, the evidence shows us that these approaches help. Other elements that we can do to, to help ourselves with sleep hygiene are some really, really practical tips. Make sure that the room's dark enough. We've just talked about light and yeah. melatonin. Yeah. The fact that dropping light helps to put us to sleep. Raising light helps to wake us up. So, oh, yeah. Think about how dark your room is. Our devices, wonderful for connecting us to mm -hmm. the world. Wonderful for interacting with people. Causing all this bad juju in our systems. <laughs> all that cortisone and adrenaline that you're talking about. Potentially, yes. Yeah. Emails pinging at 3 a.m. Yeah. Notifications. Okay. Turn the notifications Vibrations. Off. <laughs> yeah. Give, give the system a fighting chance. But the other Put it down, I think, is the other thing. Absolutely. Because the wavelength that comes out of our devices, the light wavelength, mimics sunlight. That blue light wavelength. So if we're sitting staring at our devices, we're actually countering the body's natural predisposition to increase melatonin yeah. and put us to sleep. And there's various research out there that says blue, wave, blue light wavelength particularly can have up to twice as long an impact in terms of sleep debt as other wavelength. Um, so say wow. green light or, or, yeah. or that type of TV. thing. TV. Yeah. Your TV. So think about your device use. So, uh, there are principles um, where people put a filter over that 
or perhaps... Don't take it to bed with you. Don't take, yeah, exactly. Don't take <laughs> it to Leave it in bed. the kitchen. Um, because, again, devices, mobiles, tablets, whatever they are, they're all designed to awaken certain things in our mind, in our brain. Cortisol spikes. Dopamine hits whenever we get a, a notification mm-hmm. or something good, a thumbs up or a like. So, yeah, leave the device down. Set yourself a, a challenge. Set yourself um, uh, some protected time aside, which is going to be for rest. And then make sure the room is dark enough as well. Make sure it's a comfortable temperature. We've all experienced throwing our leg out the side of the mm-hmm. bed during the middle of the or night. Or being cold. Yeah. yeah. So get your room the right temperature. And then if you do wake up, there are some really, really simple practical tips Um, which I've written about recently, um, harnessing progressive muscle relaxation and controlled breathing. So that's controlling the breath, something we normally don't have to think about controlling, and squeezing, tensing, relaxing our muscles at the same time and just letting the tension flow out. Now, if we think about this, historically you might think, well, that's kind of in shape, isn't it? Is it? Well... (laughs) I don't think that sounds like a great cheap. Actually, it's not that far removed because what we're doing is we're occupying the brain with something we don't normally have to think about. Breathing is is an an autonomic nervous response. If if you had to Mm -hmm. think about breathing, you'd forget and we'd all fall over and die. (laughs) Oh, rubbish. Forgot forgot to breathe for five minutes there. (laughs) Why is Aidan not moving? Um, But if we focus on our breath... Not only can we harness the capability to dampen our system's responses down by using yogic or or diaphragm, pranayama breathing, um, and using deep breathing to draw oxygen all the way into our lungs and back out again, really slowing the system down. We're helping the system to have the capability to let those stress hormones just pass away. Let the system become a bit more relaxed. Maybe the escalated heart rate we experienced when we woke up to let that dissipate. Let all of those feelings and sensations which relate to feeling stressed. Equipping and helping the system to just move away from that. Controlled breathing can help facilitate that. But we're also occupying the brain if we build an account and then also um, build in some progressive muscle relaxation, occupying the brain with something very straightforward. Um, so what we're able to do then is to focus on a count of, say, one, two, three, while we're tensing and relaxing, while we're inhaling and exhaling. And all of a sudden, after a few minutes, we may well have forgotten about the thing which made us feel so worried and woke us up in the first place. Mm. And will also have had a dampening impact on the system. And you might just find it much easier to get back to sleep. I'm just leaving a pause there because that was... <laughs> I, I'm sure there's people who've fallen asleep now. Um, but do you practice what you preach? You've launched your own and built your own consultancy, yeah. Malleable Minds. Yeah. Um, how has that been for you? You're as any business owner building their business with all of the challenges so you know is it say as I do or 
the other way for you, Ian? One thing that I'm fundamental about is trying not to be a hypocrite. (laughs) (laughs) Trying. Everything is a skill and everything is a practice. And the reality is that irrespective of how practiced we are at something, we can get it wrong at times. So I am by no means infallible. Hmm. I relate this back to uh, my practice of karate. And I think about uh, a guy that I worked with pretty soon after I moved over. And he said, you must be, you know, just like a, a zen and an oasis of calm. And I said, quite the opposite. My brain's no different than yours. I have all of the same thought processes and can experience all of the same hijacks and might encounter the same challenges as you do. The reality is that all I try to do is to apply the principles on an ongoing basis to get Mm. better and better and better at that self-discovery, self-knowledge, self-management and all of those principles that I bring to other people. So just like in karate, they say, oh, well, you've, you've got black belt. That's it, isn't it? Yeah, doesn't mean you can't get punched in the face. No, but that's also the start of another <laughs> yeah. journey to keep developing and growing. I mean, I have a yellow belt in jiu-jitsu from oh. um, 1996, I'd just like to say. I better, I better um, I watch mean, what I say yeah. next then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a journey. It's constant learning and progression yeah. and constant harnessing and, and development of skills. And exactly the same thing rings true from an organisational standpoint. The best organisations don't berate and don't um, come down hard and, and, and bang over the head on failure. They learn from it. Yeah. So just like any skill, there's the room to Improve. occasionally get it wrong, but always seek to improve. Uh, and so that's the lesson I take for myself. Every day is a school day. Mm. Um, and my brain is constantly changing in the same way as everybody else's. We are wonderfully malleable. Um, our capacity for adaptive change is phenomenal. And if we can learn to harness that, learn to become more skilled at it, then we can learn to overcome challenges. We can learn to cope with all of the slings and arrows that life throws at us. I think um, what I'm taking from that is that you just have to be kind to yourself. So sometimes you will get it wrong, but that's okay. Completely. Yeah. And I've continued to study, learn from very, very learned people around things like acceptance and commitment therapy. A guy actually, I did my primary degree at uh, Queensworth, um, Ross, has been teaching me about ACT and how to use third wave cognitive therapy. Um, and looking at that, all of that, that third wave is all based in self-compassion. Being kind to the self, there's a there's a terminology which rings very, very true. You cannot pour from an empty cup. So if you don't look after yourself, if you're not being kind to yourself, then do you have any resource to help other people out? Mm. Ross is working with you on that. You've got a there's something that you're working on with Ross, is that right from my memory, I think? Well, it's, right? it's it's something we're scoping at the minute. Um, yeah. That's that's something slightly different. Um, Ross is over at the University of Liverpool. He heads up the, the research element of their uh, clinical psychology doctorate program. Um, but I've been trying to put 
these skills, these principles of of psychological management, of um, harnessing how powerful you actually are, because each one of us has great power. Been been starting to drive those into a bit of work I've been doing with a couple of guys around behaviour change for nutritional and physiological health. Mm-hmm. Um, so those lessons again draw on a myriad of principles that I've learned, developed, and and drawn from people like Steve, Steve Peters, drawn from people like Ross White, drawn from my lectures and my primary degree, my master's degree, all of the people I've done training with over 20 odd years. Now I'm starting to feel old. <laughs> um, and trying to put those together in a way that demystifies this whole area and creates an avenue for people to access it and say, hold on a minute, maybe I could do that too. Mm. Maybe I could use those skills because you can. It sounds like it's something that you're, is it accessible? Like what you're, what you're doing? Is, yeah. is, are you building something that's, tell us about it. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's an app um, which will support um, psychological, nutritional and physiological well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily, it's starting out life to try and target and help with um, weight management and obesity. So the physiological and the nutritional are the key components of that, and the psychological is the structure. It's the um, scaffolding or the foundation upon which those two strands of behaviour change are are built, Um, because all too often it's the habit, it's the behaviour of eating, of exercising, of being Mm -hmm. active. Of sleeping. Yeah. It's all of those elements which sit underneath what lives inside our head, what our thoughts, what our feelings, what our sensations, what emerges as our behaviour. Seems very, very complex, seems very incomprehensible. So what I'm trying to do is demystify, reduce that level of lack of comprehension, miscomprehension, or, or just being slightly standoffish about it because it seems like a, a word that you don't want to enter into and bringing it forward in a way that says, hold on a minute, let's bring in really, really simple approaches which allow you to access this, let you open the door to harnessing your own psychological power and then let's develop that, let's build on that. Hmm. Once you've demonstrated to yourself just how powerful you can be, where do you want to take it next? And for that, we're looking at sleep in the app as well, because obviously sleep is fundamental to recovery. It also, we know what we're like when we, we haven't slept, <laughs> what foods we tend to go for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But it's also about stabilising and being able to manage our behaviour and our habits and everything else as we move forward. So it's really, really fundamental to that. And tied into that then are all the progressive muscle relaxation, the mindful exercises and the controlled breathing exercises, which help people harness what we talked about in terms mm. of getting back to sleep. And the sheep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If um, people so, want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in your spare time, becoming a tech entrepreneur from the signs of it. Will well, that be out? When is that? When are you going to? Is there going to be a beta test we can all yes, tap into? So What's happening with that? We should hopefully see if I can get my dates right. We should hopefully. Well, this is have, May, so yeah. Um, oh yes, yeah, so, so yeah, 
We should be live um, right about now. Oh, yeah. amazing. Well, Indeed. we can pop some stuff in the show notes. So people who are looking to break down those barriers and try and live a better version of themselves, they can have a look at that. Um, okay, so um, like literally, I know I could sit here and talk to you all day because I have done it <laughs> already many times before. Um, but um, we always like to wrap the podcast up. And this is obviously a podcast that is dedicated to keeping uh, answering the challenges that keep entrepreneurs awake at night. Mm-hmm. So what is your last few bits of advice? Like what would be the two or three things that entrepreneurs could do and start applying today to help them kind of achieve their potential and ultimately get enough sleep? I would bring it back to my own experience of starting my own business um, and some of the principles I work with people on. So it's really two simple words, perception and reality. Our perception, what we think is going on, might be the case, but more often than not, it's not. It's not how other people see it. It's not how the world sees it. So test your perceptions out. I articulated it um, to someone I was working with uh, of being on this seesaw of vacillating <laughs> between absolute terror and sheer exuberance. And the reality was somewhere in between. Yeah. yeah. The world wasn't going to burn down and, and you know, no one was going to uh, come out and take my house or, you know, break down the doors of, of, of my little consultancy and take all of my kit away. That really wasn't going to happen. Neither was I going to find a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Yeah. Or someone going to, to come forward and say, oh, you never have to worry about anything yeah. ever again. So that vacillation between... Absolutely. This is what everybody wants, this dream. Indeed. <laughs> of everlasting contracts and, you know, instant customers <laughs> and, you know, without having to even try. But if we can test our perceptions out, weight them against the reality and harness some level of looking after ourselves, being kind to ourselves, use whatever skills, practice that work for you. Maybe it's Exercise, maybe it's yoga, maybe it's leaning into friends and looking for good counsel. Maybe it's harnessing the power of of applied psychology. Mm -hmm. The lessons that you can bring out of things like acceptance and commitment therapy act around using mindfulness practically, understanding your values and pushing that forward and taking committed action, being open to what's around you and accepting that sometimes those troubling thoughts, those challenging thoughts will come forward because they're perfectly normal and they're a part just as easily of me as anybody else. Um, So being able to build the skills to understand the perception, but to be able to move towards reality. Your insight and advice has been really gratefully received, certainly by me today and certainly I know by uh, many of the listeners. And um, for those entrepreneurs who are dealing with the same struggles that you and I have in the past, hopefully all of that advice will give them a better night's sleep. Thank you. Good. Thanks, Trish.